Our scripture reading this morning comes from the gospel according to John in the second chapter. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Mowage. Mowage is what brings us together today. Okay, not really. Maybe not us anyway. But this is the occasion for the story here that we've read this morning a reading that follows the trajectory we've been on since Christmas. You see, shortly after Christmas each year, much of the larger church celebrates Epiphany on January 6th. Now, technically, Epiphany is celebrated as a single day, but we count the Sundays following Epiphany until Lent begins as the Sundays after Epiphany, though some traditions think of this as a season of Epiphany. And throughout this season following Epiphany, we focus on much the same theme as the one introduced on Epiphany Sunday, the manifestation or revelation of Christ to the world. On Epiphany Sunday, we hear the story of the Magi, these wise ones from the East who have come to see the newly born King of the Jews. Now, they were not Jewish themselves. They followed some other tradition. But they knew when they saw the star in the sky that this birth was a birth of importance for the whole world. And so Jesus was revealed to these strangers from another land. Last week, we celebrated the baptism of the Lord, the day that Jesus was baptized. And we heard how the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove and a voice called out from heaven, claiming Jesus as the beloved Son. And so Jesus was revealed to the crowds that were there that day. Today we have a revelation of a different sort. Jesus is at a wedding with his mother and his disciples, and while they are there, the host runs out of wine. And Mary makes a point of telling Jesus. Now I'm trying to imagine being at a wedding with my mom, And then having her tell me, 
hey, by the way, they're out of wine. I imagine my response would not be that different from Jesus' initial reaction. What does that have to do with me? It's interesting that here in this Gospel of John, we don't find the same sort of baptism story that's found in the other Gospels to start off Jesus' ministry. There's no public baptism, no public voice calling out from heaven, no public vision of the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. We do get the testimony from John the Baptist that, hey, those things all happened. But it's not told in a way that tells us that there was anyone else present at the time. At this point in the Gospel of John, we've heard the mystical identification of Jesus with the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's been the testimony of John the Baptist calling out and proclaiming the one who is to come. And we get a glimpse of Jesus beginning to call other like-minded people to follow him. But there's no public manifestation of Jesus as the Son of God in the first chapter of John. So it's interesting to consider that while the other Gospels begin Jesus' public ministry with baptism, arising from the waters, Holy Spirit descending, voice from heaven claiming Jesus as the beloved Son, that feels like an appropriate beginning to the ministry for which Jesus is known. His powerful teaching, his preaching, his healing. But here in the Gospel of John, Jesus' first public manifestation takes the form of a miraculous act of power during a wedding celebration. Not just any wedding celebration, but one where they ran out of wine. What could be more mundane than running out of wine at a party? And yet, this is precisely where the writer of this gospel chooses to start Jesus' public ministry. Now, to be clear, for many of us, there's nothing strange about thinking of Jesus being present at a wedding. After all, many of us that get married, we do so in a church with a clergy person involved, recognizing God's presence in our lives and in our love with each other. But what our text makes clear is that Jesus wasn't just there for the wedding. He stuck around for the party. And so there he is, hanging out with his mom and his disciples. Maybe this was one of Mary's relatives that was getting married, cousin of Jesus. Maybe the wedding was for one of the children of a well-known and well-connected local person who just sort of invited everybody and spread the invitation far and wide. We actually know very little about who it is that's getting married and what's going on in this wedding, other than the fact that Jesus and his mom and his disciples were there and that they ran out of wine. Now, Mary's mention and presence here is done very intentionally. As we consider the mother of Jesus that we find described in the other Gospels, she's mostly relegated to the birth story and to being at the cross at the end of the journey. We don't really see much of her at any point in between. 
But here we find her being mentioned in the gospel story that John tells of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Her presence is an important part of this story. Not only is she mentioned, she is the one who pushes Jesus. Pushes him to go ahead and reveal who he is. Story makes it very clear that Mary knew and understood exactly who her son was. Jesus was content to keep things kind of quiet. Based on the testimony from the other Gospels, he's about 30 at this point. He's at a wedding with his followers and his mother, and so we can guess that he's still very close to his mother, even as he has begun gathering these like-minded followers around him. But other than John the Baptist's testimony, there is nothing public about who Jesus is. And so, as all good mothers do, Mary gives Jesus a bit of a nudge. They have no wine. It isn't much of a nudge, but as all good sons do, Jesus didn't need any more than that to understand exactly what it was that she was suggesting. And his response kind of suggests this probably isn't the first time this conversation has come up. What business is that to me? Can you stop nagging me? It's not time yet. But this time, Mary doesn't take no for an answer. She turns to the host, the host um, servants, and she just tells them, just do whatever he tells you to do. Whether he thinks he is ready or not, Mary is ready. She forces his hand. Now, maybe she knows more in this instance than he does. After all, the Mary we actually meet in the gospel stories is a far cry from that sweet, submissive mother that we sometimes see in the nativity play. Mary, in the gospel stories, is a woman who knew her history. She knew the Torah. She knew what the Son of God coming into the world would mean. She sings a song about all of the things that God is doing in the world through Jesus. And today she tells God's Son that it is time to stop hiding who he is. Or maybe she was just really ready for her older son and his weird friends to get out of her house. <laughs> Whatever the case, here in the Gospel of John, we find Jesus becoming publicly known at a party that has run out of wine. Not in a story of miraculous healing. Not in a story of Jesus miraculously feeding the multitudes. Not in a story of a voice coming down from heaven while a dove descends and lands on his head but a story of Jesus miraculously turning water into wine at a party. It is a glimpse of a Jesus that we don't often see. Jesus in the midst of everyday life. Jesus in the midst of feasting and dancing and celebrating. Of course, for a miraculous entry into public ministry, Jesus still manages to keep it as low-key as possible. He doesn't turn this into some kind of party trick. Hey guys, who thinks I can turn this water into wine? No. He doesn't do this as some sort of miracle to astound or amaze people. He doesn't do it to draw attention to himself. The only ones that truly witness this miracle 
are the servants and Jesus' mother and his disciples. Obviously, the story would have spread later, or he wouldn't have it here in this gospel. But here, in the first of his acts of power, Jesus didn't draw attention to himself. He didn't do it to become the center of attention. Christ is there in the midst of this wedding celebration, but he lets the focus remain on those being celebrated. So why wine? Why this party? It's hard to say with any certainty. There's certainly some sacramental undertones here in the story. First, there's the fact that these jars that Jesus used are the jars that were used for purification rituals. These jars were used for ritual cleansing, but them being suddenly filled with wine alludes to our own rituals of Holy Communion, of the wine that is God's blood that is offered for us and for our cleansing. This is further suggested by the fact that this is at a wedding. You see, in some of the Eastern traditions of the church that grew up in the area where this gospel was widely circulated, baptism is seen as our marriage to Christ. And so in this tradition, Holy Communion, which always follows baptism, becomes the wedding feast. And so seen through this sort of lens, the identification of a wedding and the presence of Christ can take on a different meaning. And while I personally love the sacraments and could just go on and on about this sacramental imagery and would love to just talk about that for the rest of my time here, um, I also just love the really simple sacramentality of looking for Jesus in the midst of everyday life. With or without the sacramental undertones, I love the idea of Jesus hanging out at a party with his friends. Yes, he heals the sick. Yes, he feeds the hungry. Yes, he takes time to kneel in prayer. Yes, he teaches and preaches forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation. But he also lives a very human life. As miraculous as Jesus is, he also takes times to be ordinary, to be with friends, to celebrate a wedding. What could be more ordinary than hanging out with your friends at a party and having your mother nag you about getting on with your life? And so I invite you, to be aware today of the places where God breaks into our everyday, ordinary lives. God is there with us in our times of quiet and prayer, but God also nudges us at other times as well. Sometimes we see God in the beauty of the creation around us. Sometimes we catch a spiritual message in a movie we are watching or in a song we hear. Sometimes a TV series might nudge a little something inside that makes us ask a deeper question, something that doesn't really have anything to do with the show, but that makes us want to dig deeper. And God is there in the midst of our relationships and our celebrations. 
Of course, just in case I didn't make it clear, I'm not saying we need to invite Jesus to the Super Bowl party just in case we run out of beer. That's not quite the lesson we're going for. But what I am saying is that God wants to be there with us, not just in our times of prayer, not just in our times of need, but also in our times of celebration and in the midst of our everyday occurrences. God is present for us in the midst of our struggles and in the midst of our parties. God is present when we take time to be a part in prayer, but God is also there when we wash the dishes. God is there with us in worship, and God is there when we, want, when we run our errands. And this is part of remembering that as holy as Jesus is, the incarnation tells us that Jesus was a fully human person that lived and grew and learned in our world. The good news of the story is not that God pointed a finger and changed the world. The good news of the story is that God came down to live among us, to see our world through human eyes. That God took the time to come down and understand exactly what it is to be human with all that that entails and loves us just the same. So as you leave today, be aware of those places in your life where God is nudging you. Be aware of those moments that may seem small or maybe even slightly inappropriate for the presence of God. And remember that God is there with us even in the midst of our most ordinary everyday lives. And for that, thanks be to God.